Welcome, everybody, to episode 110 of the Metabolus 2 podcast, which, uh, as usual, features me, Ben. And I am David. And I am Brian. Hey. And I'm Jess. Hey. Hey. Special guests abound in this week's episode. And so it's a panel discussion today on RTD2, the return, the second coming of Russell T. Davis as showrunner of Doctor Who. Scooty Gatwa as the Doctor. <laughs> and throw it out to you guys uh first off a returning showrunner brian what do you think of having russell t davis coming back as head honcho of doctor who uh mixed feelings honestly i was admittedly a bit underwhelmed when i first heard the announcement uh, (laughs) because i was hoping we could kind of move a little bit past the revolving door right um but that said i mean he has done some remarkable television in the years since and you know has grown tremendously and he's such a he's such an enthusiastic personality it's hard not to get excited by his excitement for it so Mm -hmm. like i said it's kind of mixed you know i was hoping for some new blood but if you're gonna go back a little bit that's not the worst choice in the world (laughs) well of the two choices other choices you'd prefer rtd the moffat or uh i think I think so, only because there's been more time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More professional development and lived experience. How about you, Jess? A lot of the same feelings as Brian. Hmm. I haven't been watching the series very much in the last several years, although I did watch uh, the last year's stories starting from... um, Res... What was that? Resolution of the Daleks? What's that called? Revolution? Revolution of the Daleks? Resolution is the New Year's one, yeah. Right, right. So, and then there was, I saw Flux, and then I saw Eve of the Daleks, Mm, and so, mm -hmm. so I have actually been trying to catch up, Mm -hmm. but was off for several years. I really didn't see much Capaldi, and I didn't see much Whitaker until this last year or so, whatever it was. But I did watch the Davis one and the Moffat years, Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, so... I am a little separated from the, I feel a little separated from the series right now, but at the same time, I have some excitement and some, some trepidation. I know what I liked about Davis's time. He really brought Doctor Who, of course, back from the dead, uh, and mm-hmm. was so enthusiastic about it, as Brian says. I feel like there were some storytelling problems, uh, that I, that I didn't enjoy. I, I'm not a huge fan of the arc that must be completed by the end of the mm-hmm. series. Uh, and I always felt like that was a handicap that many times that just got dropped to the floor. And, uh, so haven't watched it in a while. So maybe the memory is cheating on me, but optimistic because we certainly know we're going to get strong stories, interesting stories, uh, provoking stories. Uh, and we're going to get a lot of publicity and we're going to get a lot of, mm. uh, a, a very different, style of doctor who than we've had in a while so hoping for the best as always not so invested i must say but uh, (laughs) hoping for the best you know i'll always watch a good episode of doctor who and so uh hoping for the best Mm -hmm. and ben you've gone on record so to speak saying you're pretty chuffed with uh rtd coming back yep i'm pretty pumped actually um i was trying to work out why i was reading the latest dwm 
And for the first time in years, I was like, wow, I'm really excited to read this magazine. And I couldn't, I was like, wow, I, I, then I must be really excited in a way that I haven't been for a while. And I think it's the whole publicity thing. Like, he's really good at getting people excited about the show in a way that, you know, and again, I don't want to dump on Chibnall all the time, but I, that's fine. Um, I will. Um, but he's not that interested <laughs> in the whole publicity thing. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I like the kind of, you know, he wrote a, basically a column for this month's magazine, and I like the idea he's going to be back writing a monthly column. You know, it's like, it's like Stan Lee or something. It's like, you know, you can't help but be excited that there's going to be... I'd, never really read any Stanley comics. I'm going to get this secondhand. But, you know, it's going to be a new Spider-Man. Whoa. It's like, whoa, everybody. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah so, and, and he's, and he's, he's just enthusiastic about things. And, you know, he likes the show in a way that I don't think really Chibnall did like the show. I think Chibnall was kind of using the show to tell stories that he wanted to tell that weren't necessarily Doctor Who stories, but they were stories he felt needed to be said. And, I suppose the other thing is, like, he's a, RTDs are really successful, I think. You know, producer and writer, um, and he wouldn't come back to Doctor Who unless he wanted to. Mm. See what I mean? Like, he's not, like, scrabbling around for, like, I haven't got any work. Basically, he can do what he wants, and if this is what he wants to do, then he must have some fun things to say, I think. That's my, that's my take. I was trying to think of like the last time they brought someone back was like you know they didn't didn't they bring Barry Letts back to kind of help? Correct. Didn't John Nathan Turner had Barry Letts kind of over his shoulder like no he, make it more like this? Yeah, he was he was an executive producer of season eighteen. That's right. Uh, yeah. How exactly he influenced season eighteen, I couldn't say, but yeah, he he was a benevolent eye cast over that uh, that season. Yeah, and I again I I, I also thinking about it I'm not sure how that made any difference but that's a returning producer so his biggest decision so far has been casting Scooty Gatwa as Doctor Who or at least um, that's the assumption but he's doing if based off of Doctor Who magazine covers is any indication there's a little mystery around that because the phrasing on the magazine hasn't been the classic Scooty Gatwa is the doctor. Well, that comes later. Okay. That comes later. So if you, they've done that in the past. So like Matt Smith got a DWM cover after he was announced and it was something like, you know, it was his interview, but then once Tennant had finished, then Matt Smith gets his Matt Smith Uh, is the doctor and they kind of go with that. So, and I think it, I got to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's Shooty Gatwa. Shooty. I'm pretty sure. That sounds right to me too. Shooty, okay. Yeah, and I think the it's almost like an etiquette thing. Like Jody's got, she's still the doctor technically mm-hmm. until later this fall, and then once she's done, and then they'll start the hype machine, and then you know, Shooty Godwa is the doctor, and they'll. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a little too bad though because it feels like she's already being overshadowed. Like I've, I'm, I'm sort of not as invested in this last episode because we get we've got now had a, a fair amount of publicity about. The new doctor, I feel like it's kind of overshadowing her. I'm wondering when the publicity for the final uh, episode or episodes is is coming because it's easy to forget that she is still the doctor. Yeah, yeah, and although she's she's been done, right? So she finished filming ages ago, and then after she was done, she came back to do a little bit for that uh, radio drama. Mm. Oh yeah, the redacted series. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she's otherwise 
done and dusted. Yeah. Brian, have you, have you have you listened to Redacted? Yeah, is it good? Because I'm like on the edge of listening to that. <laughs> on, literally, it is. It, I I really enjoyed it for what it wasn't, and it's no dig or slight on on them at all. But it's it's not a big finish type format mm-hmm. or storytelling. Cool. It's a podcast size drama, so they're like twenty minute chunks, and it moves along in a clip. Uh, and in the words of its creator, uh, Juno Dawson, it is very gay and very trans, um, <laughs> which is great. It's just, it's a different perspective. Um, certainly that, you know, I don't, you know, it's, it's something that, um, I'm not gay or trans. So it's interesting for me to, uh, get that perspective in Doctor Who storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so the premise is great. It's a, it's a group, of, uh, group of girls who are doing a podcast called the blue box files. And there's this, you know, <laughs> mysterious box that kind of, you know, has been linked to extraordinary events. And right. so they're talking about events from past uh, episodes. So you'll recognize events from like RTD's doctor who like, Oh, the time that this hospital disappeared, you know, nobody knew what was going on. And, right. or, you know, all these little, uh, there was like, some link with like diet pills and little fat creatures, but you know, nobody really remembers <laughs> this. And so, they're kind of on the periphery of it, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, as the creator said, interesting to a point because as a listener, we know all about it. So you're kind of waiting, you know, you don't want to be waiting, like, hurry up, you got to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty soon the doctor kind of weaves herself into the story uh, and then it takes off. Like, without getting too into it, you know, uh, events are being redacted from the collective human consciousness and it whittles down to these three characters to kind of figure it out and, and solve it. Wow. So it's very different. It's it's really fun. It's not, I think, it's not a it's a story that involves the Doctor, but it's not really about them, you know. And it's it's BBC, right? It is a BBC, a BBC podcast. Yeah. BBC production. Okay. Is it Doctor Light then? It's a good recommendation. I'm sorry. There, uh, what was that, David? Is it a Doctor Light episode where Jody has like cameos in it? Yeah, she she's in it, but she's I mean. She's in it in the beginning to kind of get you hooked in, and mm-hmm. then it becomes the story of the main characters, and then other characters weave in and out. So you know, Unit you know comes into it at mm-hmm. one point, and so other characters from Sarah Jane Adventures and things like that. So they're all kind of in the mix, and then Jody shows up toward the ending. So, would you recommend Redacted? It's worth a shot. Yeah, um, it's like I said, it's not big finish. It's just like bite sized chunks. So mm-hmm. I know. Not everyone was like keen on the pacing of it, but mm. it's it's designed to like while you're commuting or doing the dishes or something like that, and just kind of check in with it. So it's free. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not something, I guess. <laughs> you can That's decide. definitely not big. Finish, you can decide but... for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going back to the RTD two thing, I think the other thing that I've been wondering. Um, well, two things. One of which, um, spoiler alert, I mean, there does seem to be quite a lot of Doctor Who magazine involved, particularly the comic strip, mm-hmm. from what I've seen, um, which I'm excited about because I've always liked the comic strip. And to Han, I think, you know, obviously, Russell Davis, he's, he cartoons in his spare time. Um, Han has always been a big fan of the Doctor Who magazine comic strip. Like, he, bringing some of those characters in is kind of weird and exciting. I don't know how that's going to fit, but, you know, anyway... Um, but the other thing is that, you know, if it's, if his, if Bad Wolf Productions, which is his production company with Julie Tranter, which is part owned, I think, or financed by Sony, I mean, there could be a lot more money coming into the show, which 
is not a bad thing, I don't think. Um, I mean, obviously, Doctor Who's always been able to be super creative with having no money, and in some ways has made it better because it's had to be more creative. But I think having a little bit more cash, especially at a time when the kind of BBC is under threat, as usual, from a conservative government, um, I think that's a good thing. There was a graph that someone showed on Twitter, which again may be a lie, but anyway, I, I found it interesting. It's like the total cost for the last. I think it's the last season of Stranger Things was was only slight, which is three hundred million dollars. It's only very slightly less than the entire budget for a year's worth of BBC drama, um, which is like three hundred and ten million dollars. So you know, there's there's really no money going into BBC stuff compared to American shows. I feel like uh, I haven't missed any apparent lack of money uh, in Doctor Who. I think they do uh, a okay. perfectly fine and excellent job uh, for my, you know, for my eyes and ears. I, I think they they do great. So yeah, extra money would be excellent. You know, could be cast. You know, casting decisions could be different uh, as well right. as right. Uh, as well as production decisions could be could be very different. Yeah, I think it's probably cast that would that would kind of excite me. Not that they haven't done an excellent job, but you know, I mean, my my wife, who's very much not really a fan of the show, but watches the show with me, we're like, well, I've seen that person in that other English show that we watch, you know, and this, you know, ah, she knows that sport. Think, oh, great, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Like that person is in everything. What the hell? It's Nicola Walker. What the hell is she doing in things? In everything that we consume. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, Jess. So apparently, like Murray Gold. Is coming back as the composer? That wouldn't surprise me. I haven't heard anything one way or the other, but maybe you've heard more. Yeah, I mean, did you like his work? I mean, are you a, uh, are you excited to have more Murray Gold music sounds? Music sounds. Sh- sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I think I gave it away there. Uh, <laughs> Mur- Murray Gold never entirely excited me. There shall not be a Murray Gold okay. is Doctor Who project. Um, <laughs> Because I, I find his music to be like a little on the nose, uh, in the sense okay. that it's 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 so melodic, uh, like it's uh, it's a touch overbearing for me. And I actually found Sagan Akinola's music refreshing in that way because right. although it came to the fore when it had to be, there were many other times where it was like unobtrusive, and if you stopped to listen to it, it was kind of interesting and uh, and intriguing. And yeah. I am a fan, perhaps a proponent, and I say this as someone who, you know, only composes right. in theory. <laughs> no one's heard my music, uh, but at the same time, I I appreciate a style of accompanying music that isn't trying to overrun the story, uh, isn't too self-important. And I feel like his has such a pop, I wouldn't, I don't want to say pop music in a pejorative way, but there's an element of that, which is very pervasive. Uh, and right. this happened in the John Nathan Turner time too. Like there could be, it could be so over the top. Uh, for something that is trying to accompany a story, I, I found it sometimes a little too much. Uh, it, it was too prominent for me. So it's too self-important. Uh, yeah. But hey, you know, what do I know? I don't find his music as interesting, but it's it's without doubt effective. And a lot of people love it. So right, take right. what I say with a grain of salt. I mean, it's one thing I've learned from watching your videos is how like incredibly subtle 
someone who was yeah. literally writing the music every week, you know, f- for like years on end, how subtle that music is. Um, there's a there's a lot of possibility for variation. Yeah, to, anyway, and, yeah, uh, it's, it's, and, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's a yeah, and a wider, yeah, it's crazy. particularly it's a wider harmonic palette yeah. that I never heard from Murray Gold. And I hear that from other composers of the classic era too, right. and I hear it some from Sega Nakanola as right. well. Right. Uh, so there's there's a lot more pastels in Murray Gold, and I feel like there's a lot less subtlety uh, than uh, than I right. think perhaps right. is helpful, is assistive to a story, and that's ultimately what the music is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be supporting the story. It's not supposed to be, you know, preparing itself for the soundtrack release, as I heard one person say, and I stole that phrase. I stole that phrase from them. <laughs> and it's just my own personal uh, reservation. And I I fully understand, not to puff myself up or anything, but I, as a professional musician, I do listen to music a little differently than other people. I uh, am listening for different reasons uh, than people who are just along uh, for the ride, mm-hmm. and it's not that I can't, but I do have a tendency to analyze, mm-hmm. and uh, and that affects my opinion about music in general. So uh, certainly, an eff- like I say, very effective. A lot of people like it. Uh, I have my own personal reservations about it. So going back yeah. to the Sony money and casting, perhaps the biggest difference is going to be the number of episodes coming out a year. If you're trying to stretch a certain budget and have higher quality, you're going to have fewer episodes, perhaps with Sony money, maybe more known actors, but then maybe more also episodes in a season and maybe creeping back up to 12 or 13 rather than I think flux with six. Right. I find the, uh, they're, Doing so much in advance, I find that kind of very strange. They're working on episodes that we may not see for over a year, and I feel like there's always been a little less turnover time uh, than that in the show's history. And maybe that's just a, a function of the current situation or our post-pandemic world that things take longer to organize or what have you. But it's so weird to me that they're working on... Um, they're working on projects that we won't see for ages. And then we have to, it's, I think it's odd for the actors too. They then have to sort of come back and right. promote something that is well past. Jodie Whittaker might, is probably going to have to do that in a few months time. She's going to have to come back to a show that she has left and moved on from and then hype it up. And so I find that can create a sort of disconnect uh not only from the viewer, but from the production and the actor's perspective. But I, I do find that very odd that things are now done so much in advance of their actual uh, release. Or at least that's what that's what seems like we're getting. I don't know if that was necessarily the case in the last year because of uh, COVID and so on. But it's so strange that it's being worked on so in advance. I remember, though, with the Tennant to Smith, Handover. I mean, they had started production, like Matt Smith's stories had started. So when the last Tenant episode aired, Uh they had a trailer ready to go. They didn't have special effects added to it, but there was a very dramatic trailer with new Murray Gold music and, you know, a couple of fast cut clips. And it was just the end is just the beginning, you know, Doctor Who returns. Mm -hmm. And it was very soon, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was New Year's and Mm -hmm. then by uh, April, like Easter, they kicked off the new season. So it could be trying to bank it for that so they could really keep the hype machine going. Oh, sure. I, I, I don't doubt their 
righteousness in doing what they're doing. I just find it very weird. I agree. To think, yeah. Right. To think that uh, now I'm now I have to sit here and get excited about it, and then now I have to sit here and wait for yep. eighteen months or whatever. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show. Um, obviously. <laughs> um, so I mean, there's more episodes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I more episode, yeah, more of it. Um, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd happily have it on every week if that was possible. It's not. I was, I was, I can't remember which year it is now, but you know, again, DWM have been doing these uh, kind of year, like key years in Doctor Who specials, and they did a 2008, um, which was the kind of pomp year of of Tennant. And I remember, obviously, you know, being in the UK that year, and like basically everything was Doctor Who. Like you'd go into a store, and there were like giant orange and signs with the with the kind of the, the golden lozenge yeah. logo, and like action figures and lunch boxes and great big standees of David Tennant, and it was like wow, this is amazing. That was surreal to me, definitely. It was yeah, it was great, and I and actually. I felt weird about it at the time because at the time I was thinking like, oh no, I like I've always liked this show. Now everyone else does. Mm. Um, <laughs> but but actually, I was thinking about it reading that special. It's like, wow, I'd really like that to to happen again. I'd really like the entire country to just convulse over this one show in a way that you know I don't know. Kind of streaming has sort of stopped us from doing that. I suppose Stranger Things has been to go back to that thing is. Everyone's like obsessed with that show right now. Um, I mean, I'm you know I'm a great accumulator of material. So if the show generates material, I like that because I like consuming material. So you know, more action figures, more lunch boxes, <laughs> you know, more things. So anyway, it's hard too, right? Because the the landscape has changed yeah. so much since 2008, right? Yeah. So Marvel yes. was not a thing back then, right? right? Not right. right? So now. Um, like Marvel, it's an ocean of content. It's overwhelming. There's no way. I mean, I know there are people that do, but right. all the shows on Disney Plus, and then they have you know right. the movies and the tie-ins and this that. And like, where do you even begin? And that's just one sort of universe or you know entertainment property. And yeah. so there, mentioned Stranger Things, like Game of Thrones, kind of came and went. Right? There's a prequel series now on the way with Matt Smith, but mm-hmm. Star Wars. Like, I would love for Doctor Who to have that but I, I think it's a it's a really crowded shelf as it were yeah i, I, I think i think that's um what i was uh, i mean that's the question i was going to come on to i mean what i mean I, and it was actually a question to sort of maybe to, to you brian because i know that um you know you're a you're a kind of american comics fan etc 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 or you know you're aware of that world um i mean what, what do you think about the idea of there being like you know a doctor who cinematic universe with like lots of different shows running at the same time with you know, I don't know, a show about Daleks or I don't know. Yeah, so. I mean, well, to, to kind of t- tie it back to our overarching theme, I, I credit RTD with really pioneering that, right? With right. Torchwood right. and the Sarah Jane Adventures right. and how awesome was uh, Journey's... Oh, was it Journey's End? No, um, was it Journey's End? Uh, that season where, like, everyone... Came together. Uh, Stolen Earth, Stolen right? Earth. Stolen yeah, Earth, yeah, Journey's yeah, End. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But that was like a Marvel, like Secret Wars level crossover. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> everybody is in this and the Daleks and Davros. And this is, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then like, um, oh, they're making the Torchwood reference that, you know, it's Eve Miles who played, you know, the character they met back in season one. So mm-hmm. that to me was years ahead of its time, right? right. And like Big Finish is like, this is what we're talking about the whole time. So I would, 
I would love, uh, you know, I would love, like you mentioned, like a Dalek spinoff show. Like I always thought, especially that first season or two of like Dalek Empire. Yeah. They finished, like what a cool mm, series that would be. And, you know, maybe it'd have to be animated just because it's such a big budget concept, uh, concept, con- uh, concept wise, you know, but if you had more money to throw at it, yeah, get some decent animation. Um, I mean, the, but yeah, the, I think, I think that'd be fun. But again, it's like, what would the right channel for that be? Would it have to be a streaming right. type thing to try property with right. that? That wouldn't be for BBC proper. I don't think. Did you watch the recent, not recent, couple of maybe a couple of years ago, whatever it was, the Dalek versus Mechanoids animated show that was on YouTube with the Time Lord Victorious? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think I was. I, I think I caught up with, uh, with you guys because you were. <laughs> you guys were talking about it. So <laughs> it's Daleks. It's Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the casting decisions, I guess Gatwa's announcement accompanied then with Tennant and Tate being on set in Camden Yards being filmed on location and then a little bit later on we have Neil Patrick Harris who's been announced as a villain with these casting decisions is there any indication on how RTD is going to be moving the show it's a very big departure just um, coming off of the heels of Whitaker, now we have Gatwa. It departs from what had been for 50-plus years of a white male uh, in the role. We've had a woman now, and we have uh, a black man in... Uh, 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 I can't remember where he was, um, which country he was in. Rwanda. But in, from Scotland. Yes. Rwanda and then Scotland. Rwanda. Rwanda, Rwanda. Yeah, Rwanda-Scotland yes. uh, combination. So put this for my biases that... Uh, Chibnall didn't do Whitaker any favors. I don't think he was out there advocating for the show, um, maybe giving her the material that would have really elevated her in the role of the doctor. I don't see that happening with Davis, but I, I wonder if Davis is the right man to move it in this direction. I think it depends on who he brings with him. Hmm. So in terms of the, the creative talent, that's going to be writing the show under his umbrella, sort of gu- umbrella, gu- you know, or sort of overall vision mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, fully understanding like Chibble's era wasn't for everyone, but I respect him for breaking the mold on that front, like bringing in different writers right. uh, and with different perspectives to, mm-hmm. to tell different types of stories. And it's you know up to the individual to figure out if they were successful or not. But like they really swung for the fences on on a number of those things, and even the concepts, but also the casting of a new doctor, you mm-hmm. know, like just kind of snuck in there, and that popped up as a huge surprise. And same with uh, you know a new incarnation of the master, and just kind of breaking the mold here and there, and handing it over to different writers to try and try and tell those stories. And I'm sure it'll come out in the years to come, but you know that's that's a thing you know RTD has talked about in terms of being the producer and the showrunner and having to rewrite, you know, Doctor, a lot of the scripts as they come in from other writers. Mm-hmm. And I know that was a thing Chibnall has had to do as well. So to my original point, I think it's a great signal from RTD to to cast someone like uh, Shugigawa um, as a sign of like, we are, we are moving this thing forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to go. It's 2020 or it'll be 23, 2024, yeah. right? It's like, 2005 was a long time ago. You know, things have, <laughs> things have changed, and I think it's great. You know, he wants to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's obvious that uh, 
we are heading in a more queer direction. I mean, there's just no mm. way around that. And I think perhaps Russell, because you know we're on a first name basis, uh, <laughs> Davis is uh, is clearly now confident enough, as you say, it's you know 17 years later or whatever have you. I think he has the power to push it in that direction. And in a way, because the last doctor was a woman, there's sort of a logical progression from years and years of white men to a woman to, I think Shutigat was out. I, I, but I'm, I hope I'm not making an assumption there. His uh, character definitely is, yeah, but yeah. he is not. But okay. Is thank not. you. Thank you for letting me know about that. I, apologize yeah. if i've made a, a poor assumption uh he just he plays his character on sex education so beautifully i love that show <laughs> i actually knew about shooty because i i watched sex education oh, from okay. the beginning um so uh i knew a lot of people weren't necessarily aware of him but i had seen the show hmm. and i adore it wow uh it's it's so well done uh, and the casting hmm. is perfect and the storylines are really really interesting and so kind of bold in a sense for a for a, a prudish world. They're quite bold, but quite matter of fact and fun and honest. And so I think the show's beautiful. So he is to me shocking, but inspired casting. Uh, I think it's I it never would have occurred to me. I, I'm just not that huh. creative, uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I creative guess, that way. I guess you say so. It's like wow, um, incredible choice. I'm so proud of that. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I'm really anxious to see how that will progress. And I, I, I know, you know, as if Jodie Whittaker's casting wasn't enough, there will be people who are threatened by this too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's obviously the way the show should be, is to just not be establishment anymore. Yeah, because it, it never really was in many ways. And mm -hmm. so uh, I... Am very excited to see how that is manifested in in the show. The, that uh, the type of uh, the queerness that seems to be being signaled by the casting that we've heard of so far. Well, just with Redacted and Thasman, the uh, Whitaker Doctor Yasmin Khan relationships, it is going that way, and it's like the end of the Moffat era sort of telegraphed uh, the way Chibnall is going. I'm wondering if the end of the, like you said, the Whitaker era is kind of setting up. And back in RTD1, uh, the gay agenda quote was the slam against RTD. And I kind of think mm. that you thought that was the gay agenda. Look out, here we come. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be uh, Doctor Who pride every episode, effectively. <laughs> and I think that's uh, pretty obvious with casting the first openly trans actor, to my knowledge, as the main companion. And not only that, calling her Rose. So it's it's <laughs> almost as it's an RTD redo uh, touch-up. Hmm. Yeah. That that I, th I think you might be right there. It's just uh, a sort of reimagining could be possible, but also at the same time, there's there's possibilities for just sort of getting it out there and then you know having normal stories that just you know touch on the idea, but sort of uh, not to take it for granted per se. But it doesn't have to be the focus of every story, and I'm sure that's not his intention is to make it the focus of every story. Mm -hmm. But it's got to be an important part of these characters. Yeah, I think to me, it's, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Just to have that, to have that kind of queerness be normalcy is is mm -hmm. is you know, yeah. 
that's what's kind of exciting, right? Just to beat heavy. That's what he did also in the, his first run too. It's sort of yeah, like of I don't think it's going to be like it's a sin. I think it's just going to be open. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're here. We're queer. We're going to tell a story. It's not that this is yeah. queer Doctor Who. It's we're not going to hide uh, queerness or whatever, and we're not going to code it. It's just going to be there and you know suck it up, haters. Exactly. The final part of that phrase is get used to it. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I think that's uh, that's implicit or explicit in uh, where we're headed here. Is this, I think, yeah, yeah uh, sorry, just to jump in, but one thing I hope RTD has picked up from series one and series three in particular, like I love, like, again, it's, I would love to see the show be matter of fact about queer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, early on, I was excited to see characters like Mickey Smith mm-hmm. and Martha Jones, who then proceeded to get treated like garbage mm-hmm. in, as far as the narrative was concerned, right? So you had mm-hmm. the Doctor and Rose being awful to Mickey. Mm-hmm. And the low point was uh, Age of Steel, Rise of the Cybermen. They had him like holding down the button on the TARDIS and he'd been holding it for an hour. And then he's like, do I still need to hold this? I'm like, no, ah, ha, ha, you know, what a jerk. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, and then, you know, just to kind of cap it off with like a fist bump at the end of Journey's End, like, hey, I stole your girlfriend and everything. Like, yeah, all right, see you later, boss. I'm like, what, what is this? And then, you know, Martha Jones and that, that whole arc, I, I could go on and on about that. But, yeah. um, that character I thought was really underserved. And then for yes. me, I found like, and let's just pair them off at the end, even though Martha did have somebody and, you know, right. But okay. So I think. Not I think. I know we can do better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just, you know, just for for everybody. So I hope, you know, I hope that's a, a lesson that was kind of picked up on um, just in terms of character treatment in general. Like, I think it's great. Cast whoever you want as whatever character you want to, you know, but just be mindful of optics and handle them accordingly. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why I just one more, which is why Bill Potts was such a refreshing yeah. breath of fresh air. Like got it ah. right. I loved that season. I loved it. And she was great. That was, that's a, that's a top season basically. Yeah. So, I mean, for Capaldi that like, yeah, really what a way to, what a way it to should have all been like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Right. Like, where was this? Right. <laughs> this <laughs> I would have been watching. Well, that's a good recommendation because I have, you know, a, as I said, several seasons that I've either watched once or nunce. And so, uh, that's yeah, if a you good, watch any you. Capaldi, that, that's just, just go with his final season. That yeah. is, you don't need anything else, really. Okay. Yeah. That's also my favorite Murray Gold season, too, because he did something different with the music throughout, uh-huh. uh, throughout that season. Throw that out there. Yeah. That is is that the nine. one they never released the soundtrack That's for? That's the one they never. Oh, ten. Okay. <laughs> What's that about? I, I've, I've, I've run into a, a, a Twitter handle which is all, which is all about this bit of, uh, bit of stuff has come out before the season ten soundtrack, and it's like all they tweet is like, <laughs> "We want the season ten soundtrack." <laughs> so, it's all right. never been a priority of Murray Gold to issue CDs. He writes and moves on, and having to look mm. back is not something that he wants to do, and there may never be a Series 10 CD. Yeah, well, he should stop doing what he wants and doing what we want. <laughs> yeah. Well, Entitled yeah. fans, yes. Yeah, no, well, wow, that's, exactly. That's, that's, actually kind of, that's actually kind of funny because it makes it sound like he's not 
what I was characterizing earlier today. Uh, <laughs> I always seemed he always seemed a little commercial to me, and so the fact that that that, that you, you say that the flies in the face of that of what mm. I was trying to say. So uh, mm-hmm. I certainly have no reason to doubt you, but uh, uh, it's yeah. it, I can sort of see like it's been so long, like at a certain point it will it will have no commercial effect to release such a thing but it does make me ask you know if everything else is released in a timely manner why that one hasn't come out who can say who can say he had already moved on from doctor who at that point i guess so i guess so one thing that's getting me really interested and excited is um i'm a i'm a big fan of the third doctor and the john pertwee era and the whole kind of extravagant, flamboyant dressing. Um, you know, the famous, I can't remember who said it now, but I love it. You know, the only two people in the world who've ever made a ruffled shirt look good are Jimi Hendrix and, and <laughs> John Pertwee. Uh, uh, um, I'm, and again, you know, from what I've seen of him, like, you know, in, uh, you know, formal occasions, Shooty is a very, very exciting and flamboyant dresser. Yes. And one of the things, there's many things I, I didn't totally care for for the Jodie era, the one of which is the costume never changed. Um, and we were back to the 80s where these are basically action figures, you know, that had the same clothes and never changed their clothes. You know, when, when you know, Nissa finally changed, changed into something in Terminus, it was like, yay! And she's in her <laughs> underwear. That's it. That's excellent. Um, <laughs> but to have some really exciting clothes for the doctor and be someone who's i mean flamboyant is the wrong word because that's you know it's it's sharp, it's, sharp it, it has a particular he's a, da- particular yeah, he's a dandy of kind you know yes yeah, a dandy yes that's it like we, I'm, i've had enough of the clown i want i want i want the dandy um <laughs> that's maybe where that sony money comes in yes <laughs> oh, could different, be. shooty can certainly wear clothes when he was wearing the, when he was sure. when he was wearing that coat yes. i was like oh god i gotta go to the gym <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. His red carpet interview said what he brings is fabulousness, and it's sort of like, yeah, yeah. You definitely bring that. You, you do. <laughs> looks, Spot on. looks good. Yeah. yeah, and just to have the doctor turn up in various situations and just be dressed beautifully, um, you know, dressed for the occasion. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of excited to see. Yeah. Um, someone posted a picture. Like, again, it was a thread I was reading about. You know, action figures that we all want. And one of which was William Hartnell in his um, French Revolution oh. with the with the feather the, and the, the kind yeah. of you know, yes, yeah, so wouldn't 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 Gatwell look so awesome? You know, dressed like a French aristocrat. You know, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Brian, you hinted at it's going to depend on what uh, supporting uh, authors and creators around RTD will make this show successful or not. And you mentioned how RTD. Mis- basically mishandled Martha and then was really cruel to Mickey. What type of uh, supporting creatives are you looking for to show that RTD gets it this time around? That's a good question. I think, you know, I I appreciated uh, Chinnel bringing some diversity to the writer's room, mm-hmm. right? So to have writers of color and have, you know, try to bring more women into the mix and also behind the camera as well, mm-hmm. Um I feel awful. I'm blanking on uh, the woman's name who did uh, Legend of the Sea Devils. Um, well, we can look it up. Yeah, I feel terrible, but uh, you know, but it's but you were you were talking about the writers' room specifically. So I think yeah, having having like a f- direct line into into different 
perspectives and different life experiences. And certainly your leading actor can speak to that, right? So that's uh, hopefully, it seemed, you know, from their red carpet appearance, like they have a, have a great rapport. They're going to need that. So hopefully it's, you know, it stays in line with the rapport Davies had with Tennant, as opposed to what happened with Eccleston, that, you know, Godwin can, can speak up if and as necessary as they're, you know, creating their their vision of what uh, the character in the series can be. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking of uh, Ella Road, the co-writer of Legend of Sea Devils, or, or the director? Uh, both, actually. I was thinking of the director, but when I was Hello referencing... Wang, like, I think. Is... Yeah, like when I was referencing like behind the camera, actually, yeah. in terms of production and things. But yeah, but um, Ella, you know, voices like that as well. Because mm-hmm. then I think, yeah, you can tell a broader range of stories, right? And, mm-hmm. and have a greater sense of authenticity. Like, one of the things that bugged me about uh, the Shakespeare Code, right? It's Martha's first trip through time. And right. she's like, oh. And it was just almost like written off like, I'm not white. Is this going to be weird? Eh, walk around like, you you know, you belong. See, everyone's cool with it. Like, no. Nah. That doesn't seem <laughs> quite, is that right? So just that kind of hand-waving stuff. And that's an RTD thing, too, that happened. Like, how exactly did the master come back in the end of time? Some kind of Harry Potter <laughs> magic kiss thing. Like, Potions. Like, yeah, like, just <laughs> stuff. Just So I, I hope we can, you know, mm-hmm. have a little bit more focus on some of those things. And does it come down to, I guess I'm thinking that RTD will handle, quote unquote, gayness or trans issues. He's out there saying trans rights or humans rights. He's the champion of uh, yeah. diversity where historically he's kind of turned a blind eye or kind of tone deaf, I guess is probably a better way of saying it, is on ethnicity, race, and perhaps this time around will be different. I think he is a much more mature writer having produced for 15 years of exceptional drama, but I haven't seen where he's taken... um, race issues and addressed them head on. I don't know. Was that the case in years to years, uh, Ben, or? Years and years? No, not really. Okay. I mean, no. I mean, he's never really. I don't know whether he's not interested, um, which I think is wrong. He may feel that he's not qualified, so in which case bringing in the right writers is going to is going to help with that. I mean, I, I suddenly popped into my head is, you know, maybe they'll try and take the kind of Bridgerton route ah. and just, like, it's not a thing that happens, which I think is probably the wrong Direction to take, um, but I think that's certainly where kind of, I mean, you just, when, Brian, when you referenced Martha and Elizabeth in London, um, I think that was the route they were taking. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's a, t- it's a TV show. Um, we're not going to bother with all that because that's going to be, that's going to take too long. So it's just, this is the character and this is where they are. That is the thing that I have never gotten used to with this new series is that there's just no time. Uh, everything has to be thrown out there. You are introduced to a historical character and all we get is, oh, you're this, you're brilliant. Mm. We don't get any chance to unfold any characters. I mean, it's the problem. It's like all the stories that we've gotten are in essence classic series, two-episode stories. Mm. There's no time for anything. I mean, how many good two-episode stories were there in the classic series? There were very few, but there's no time (laughs) There's no time for anything. Everything has to be rushed through. That's why if there's any stories that I love from the new series, they have to be at least two, quote, episodes, 245s, because then there's time. Then there's time to actually develop characters, to have a story that has a little bit of subtlety, that unfolds in a way that is not rushed. 
And so that could be that whole idea of, oh, you'll be fine, Martha. It maybe is a symptom of that. That may yeah. unfortunately continue. I don't see that that has necessarily changed because of the format of the show. But that's something I, I feel like an old fogey about, is that the pace of the classic series did allow for characterizations to unfold yeah. rather than be presented to us. It allowed us to explore the abandoned space station with Dudley Simpson in the background, you well, know, for an entire episode. You know, I wasn't going to bring up Dudley Arkham, Simpson, but... Arkham, Arkham <laughs> space, you know, it's like they're, yeah. just, they're just exploring a space station. Yeah. Um, which yeah. kind of make, make it awesome. And actually, in some ways, weirdly, um, I mean, just thinking, you know, Brian talking about Redacted, um, and then also, I've not watched Stranger Things, but obviously I, everyone that I do know has watched it and is going on about it without, without end. You know, I think wasn't the final episode of that show like two and a half hours long or something? I mean, maybe in the era of streaming, we, if, if you've got the money, and maybe this is where the Sony thing comes in, you, we can actually tell stories at a greater length and we can spend an episode exploring a space station rather than actually getting on with the story. And that's the thing, right? With Netflix series, like one episode could be 51 minutes and then the next right. one is... Right, you know, it doesn't have to conform. So depending what your story calls for. And I think there's a downside to that because it, you know, it encourages people to be self-indulgent with their characters and self-indulgent with their stories. And like, just like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? This is boring. Right, editing is good. It definitely yeah. is. Good. But I, I'm I, again, I am an old fogey. It's like let's give some time to talk about. I mean, just to use the example, let's give some time to talk about non-white people in Elizabethan London, of which there were a lot, yet they probably weren't doing the kind of jobs or in the kind of social media that Martha was plonked in, in the Shakespeare Code. The Shakespeare Code was kind of a pantomime, actually, in some ways, you know, with the kind of jokey Shakespeare, but anyway, whatever. But, you know, I mean, there are, there are, there could have been some really interesting things to say, which, again, they didn't, because it didn't have enough time. It's such an interesting point about the format getting in the way, because we know RTD can write beautifully. Like, It's a Sin was one of the most powerful things I think yeah. I've ever seen, yeah. right? Just rocked me. Yeah. And But that's an extended <laughs> series, mm-hmm. right? Like, So he had all the time in the world right. to tell the story and like build out all these characters in these really interesting, moving, and in some cases tragic uh, connections and relationships. And then when you're crammed down to 45 to 50 minutes, you got to have Daleks flying around. And, right. Yeah, so... You mentioned the Bill season was better with the way that she was handled than Martha. And you can look at no further than Thin Ice versus the Shakespeare Code where Bill's saying, people out there will enslave people like me. And I was hoping to see more of that with Whitaker. And people look at women differently or react to women differently throughout history than they do a man, even if she is a pretty woman with blonde hair, she's going to get different reaction. And we only get a, a few instances of that, like within the witch finders. <laughs> the Alan Cummings <laughs> chewing the scenery. That's amazing. <laughs> but they addressed it. And that's like, oh, no, you can't yeah. be in charge here because you're a woman. And they try with, with Rosa, I felt the from uh, an adult viewer knowing that Ryan was in uh, Birmingham, Alabama in the early 60s and had a white man take offense at 
ever so subtle whatever he did wrong. That's the point where I felt the few danger. By adding in the space racist or whatever, I felt like they missed the beat. The history is so powerful, and there is real peril and danger there. To hand wave it around, saying walk around like you own it, yeah. it doesn't serve the show very well dramatically. But also, you miss that opportunity to really have that danger that you really don't get with a Dalek because Daleks aren't real. Yeah. A racist white man who could lynch Ryan is, and that's where the terror is. Yeah. I, I will say credit to Chibnall, though, he did move the ball forward, yeah. whether, you know, a little bit. He did move it forward. Mm-hmm. Didn't get there, I don't think, but mm-hmm. that's definitely not where it was in 2008 or whenever Shakespeare Code was. Right. I mean, I, mean, I think um, with Rosa, what was interesting to me about that, it was basically an historical. It was like the first historical since the Highlanders or whatever the, the very last historical was, is that there wasn't actually any need at all to have an alien in there. Like, uh, space racist. The space yeah. racist comes <laughs> flying in from space race town. Um, uh, and as you know, David said, you know, the danger was all actually, we're in early 1960s Alabama. That's the scary place. Though, the, again, sorry, and then on the, and I, you know, on the flip side of that is then you get into the like, okay, you know, the doctor spends their entire time going to alien planets and like saving everybody and stopping slavery or whatever um why don't they do it on earth and i think that's where you get into it's a show and they can't you know you you can't change history not a single line um mm. so i don't know it's 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 some there's some really in, not difficult bits of writing there if you really want to start digging into things i think possibly yeah it's a it's a tightrope for sure you can't take away rosa park's agency in that yeah, type of story yeah. But if your main character is a black Um, man who's going into these situations, uh, granted the doctor is a very commanding, authoritative person, but I don't want to see Gatwa play it as tenant, just stroll around like you own the place, but I don't think it would be serving the character at all to have the doctor being afraid of his own uh, skin color, being able to walk into a place and have to deal with racist or or something like that. I think he should be himself, I guess. But certainly these things could be addressed because they've never, doctors never had this problem. Uh, Hmm. Problem, sorry. Uh, This issue that could be part of a story is that, you know, suddenly he looks like, people who were treated horribly. Badly. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's a direction can't... that could be gone yeah. into. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's going to be challenging. And I think the hope is that they don't use it. The two ways that they don't address that is one, the doctor is fabulous and just kind of walks in and is, <laughs> ah, that's me. Um, or psychic paper. This is not what I look like. Um, that they actually, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Chibnall did that with uh, Sasha Dewan's master in when he was posing as a as a Nazi commander. That he had yeah. some kind of psychic projection that the doctor, yeah. the perception film. Perception. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Yeah, which which I again at the time I think I was irritated by because you know not all not all Nazis were were were, were erring. Um, you know that that, that you yeah. know. There were, there were people who looked different from that who were Nazis. But anyway. Well, one thing we know about Davis and his writing style and his producing style is that he 
unless you know things have changed in his maturation, shall we say, uh, he does like to throw ideas out there, and whether the, those ideas stick on the landing at the end is a different question. But he will definitely throw ideas out there right, and try right. to go with them and see what happens. And some of them uh, land beautifully, and some of them, right. uh, you know, break an ankle. So we'll see. Oh, I, I'll. He will at least be engaging in that way. We can be certain of that. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. So, has anyone seen Yasmin Finney's Heartstopper character at all? Has anyone yeah. watched that? Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. The oh, whole she. the whole show is great. Um, it's it's super sweet and really quick. It's eight like twenty five or thirty minute episodes. So it's mm-hmm. it's really quick. I will fully admit to having sat down for about three hours and watched it just the other day because I felt like it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um the whole sh- the whole show's great and, and super cute. What service is that on? Also Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Uh okay. and yes, uh her character has recently transitioned and moved from a boys school where mm-hmm. he was tortured to a girls' school where she, I think it's she or they, find their, like, she really kind of finds her place. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, this, I, this is one of those shows that is coming from a, a realm of real queer positivity and optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where, you know, yeah, nasty stuff's going to happen. There's right. always going to be bullies right. and assholes and so on. But you're going to come out of it. It gets better. That, that sort of attitude of it yeah. gets better uh, is is really pervasive in, the, in that show. And so Yasmin Fitty's character, whose name is Elle, uh, she like meets some friends and like She's she feels alone at first, but she uh, is sort of accepted uh, and finds friends and still keeps in touch with her old friends. Part of which are the two protagonists, uh, and uh, she has a, a love interest, sort of of a former friend. Uh, she's great. She's great. Uh, I keep saying she, and I hope I'm not stepping on my uh, tongue here. My, my stepping into it, but um, they are great and. So the show's very cute and uh, worth a watch. It's generally very positive, real, but but very positive. With the pronouns, I noticed that Gatwa on the, some of his runway interviews, he would always refer to the doctor as him, and then he would correct himself to they. And I'm wondering yeah. if that is him trying to uh, be inclusive of the Whitaker doctor, or also maybe that's the direction the RTD is going to do. Maybe the doctor is going to have uh, they, they, them pronouns in this regeneration. We'll see. I feel like from what I've heard from some of my friends who are parents, Mm -hmm. that kids of a certain age just get it. Uh, They use he, she, or they, and they care Mm -hmm about it they they think it's they think it's important they find out they say they more as a a default Hmm. uh, more than i i certainly ever did i mean i have obviously dealing with a fairly small sample but i was particularly having a really interesting discussion with a musician friend of mine and that's what he was saying he was overwhelmed by it too it's like they just get it there's there's no problem Hmm. with it they just they just talk about it in that way. They use they, they use he, they use they, and they, and they correct each other. And they're like, oh, oh no, no, uh, it's they. And and they respond. It's like, oh, okay, they. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go on from there. There's like no hangups about it at all, at least in my small little sample, which is incredible. 
incredibly encouraging. Uh, but, uh, yeah, makes me really have to check myself when I, uh, have conversations like this, but that's yeah. really good. And then that's so necessary to, again, normalize all of this stuff. It's just part of our lives and our culture. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. So I'm glad to, I'm glad to know that there will be that yeah. positive representation out there. Yeah. With my daughter too, it's, it's seamless and she's in a 20 mm-hmm. something and it's sort of like, I see her around her peers and that's how they talk. They, they're, it's seamless. Like you said, they correct and yeah. you know, move on. It's not a big deal. Yeah. With my girls as well. I mean, they, yeah, they, uh, yeah. people, you know, people change and they instantly segue into a different pronoun. Mm-hmm. Um, without, when I'm just, I'm, you know, Amanda and I are like, Oh, yeah. what? Uh, we, yeah. But that, <laughs> Well, if you think about it, it's very Gallifreyan, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a yes, thousand true. year year yeah. old alien. You know, it's, why why should it be something that they wouldn't do? You know. So mm-hmm. to kind of wrap yeah. us up, any story hopes or anything that you have any idea what you'd like? Uh, story hopes, music hopes, uh, director hopes, writer hopes. Any? What's your hope for RTD two? I can certainly keep it simple from my side. I want a good story about people that I care about. I w- want a bit of plausibility. That's always been a really important part of my love of Doctor Who is that you can you can go a long way if if this story like has a has its own logic. Like I, I, I get it when things are just kind of thrown in randomly or some magic element or the sonic screwdriver solves everything. Yeah. <laughs> Something grates on me a little bit, but uh, but still, I mean, mm-hmm. I just want good stories, and I want to. I'd like to really be engaged in and care mm-hmm. about the show again. Uh, that's why I know the show will go on <laughs> with with or without me. But I, I would I would really like to enjoy it. Ben Brown. Oh, what Jess said. Basically, um, with Daleks added. <laughs> oh, quite sorry. <laughs> I should have said. I should have said. Yeah, I think uh, Jess said it very eloquently. Um, I kind of like the self-contained stories. So, you know, Jess mentioned, no arcs. you know, moving yeah. away from arcs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I, you know, as we were also talking about, it's very challenging to, you know, how how deep can you go when you only have 45 to 50 minutes, or whatever it's going to be. But I do like that format. Um, and David, you mentioned music. More electronic music, please. <laughs> uh, like Murray Gold was fun and everything. And if he's coming back, all right, I share i mean i share a lot of the feelings that just had expressed uh i don't need the music to always tell me how to feel mm. but if it can support that mood and i, I that's i really love you know akinola's work for that like it could step up and be playful you know with things like spyfall or you know get epic in, in flux and things like that but i like mood mm. and, and mystery and I, I i do i would like to see more of that i think there's potential to be, to be light and fun but also to get you know get a little intense now and then like moffat did that well um sometimes lean into it a little bit too much but you know sort of finding that balance yeah i think for me uh to tag on or build on the story thing i would like quantity i think if you're dropping down to six or even 10 episodes a season it's it's too few i think you need more stories to have a more diversity of experiences and if you go more stories then any one that might be a disappointment, you have another one or another couple to look forward to. So the more diversity of storytellers, that it just enables if you have more stories. So 
a longer season, I'd love to see us back up to 12 or 13 episodes a season. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, can I add one more thing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I do like when Doctor Who can become event television. Yes. Right? So, like, Flux was, you know, and it packaged as an event or even that, you know, kind of season 4.5, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so, um, if you could do, sounds like that's what we're about to get uh, with Jody's Farewell. But if you could have once in a while, like, Doctor Who the movie, just like a movie length. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, with, like, Sherlock. Those were yes. movie length, yeah. yes. you know, stories. So. I think that, you know, self-contained, but just like, it's an event. So Mm -hmm. that would be cool, too. Excellent. So thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Ben, (laughs) for uh, chatting today. Any final thoughts? Anything you want to touch on that we haven't hit? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. I do perhaps feel, because uh, we live in a capitalist society, uh, that I should mention that I'm on Patreon now, and uh, Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who is going to have a season two. So uh, please uh, visit my Patreon slash Jess Jerkovic and support the efforts to celebrate, oh yes, the finest composer of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good plug. Yeah, absolutely. Good plug. So thanks for letting me do that. Absolutely. Awesome. And I will use uh, my uh, my brief moment to echo that plug and say, yes, please go <laughs> check out Jess's Patreon because he's doing phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Thanks. You totally should do that, everybody. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 210 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been speaking with Jess, Brian, and Ben about the second era of russell t davis and um uh, i've been david i've been ben i've been brian and i have been jess <laughs> talk to you all soon all right. Bye. thank you all right thanks you do voiceovers <laughs>